Hi, I'm Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. Today, I'm excited to be jumping back into spiritual lessons from Corey Ten Boom. This is part two, so if you didn't catch part one, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that one. You can find the episode at setapartgirl.com or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. She is just such a powerful example to me of humility and childlike faith, and so I'm excited to share more about her life on this episode. Before we jump in, I wanted to let you know that we have our Ellerslie online training program available. Now through February 18th, you can register for a donation of any size. This is a five-week online program where we share our most powerful foundational material that we teach at Ellerslie, which is our discipleship training school in Colorado. So if you can't make it out to Colorado for a five-week or a one-week season of training, the online program is a great option. And we have some great bonuses in this year's online program. So if you go to ellerslie.com and just click on Ellerslie online training, you can find out how to register up through February 18th, and you'll have access to the program for several months. So let's dive into spiritual lessons from Corey Ten Boom Part 2. I've been freshly listening to the audio version of Tramp for the Lord and listening to several audio messages from Corey Ten Boom, and I'm so edified every time I do. I just want to highlight in this episode a few key truths from her life that speak so much to my heart and challenge me very deeply on a personal level. And the first one is that she had an eternal focus. I often quote a statement from Amy Carmichael, who is another one of my spiritual heroes, where she decided at a very young age that nothing would ever matter to her again, except the things that were eternal. And Corey had a very eternal focus for all of her life as a Christian and serving others and really just having that perspective of investing into eternity, but what really gave her an even deeper eternal focus was being face-to-face with death. When she was in the concentration camp, she never knew from one day to the next if she would even survive, and she said that it just completely changed her perspective and her priorities. Once she was released from the concentration camp, she said she often felt not at home among her own people because they were so caught up in the praise of men and accomplishments and money and comforts. And she just had no interest in those things. She was so passionate about reaching souls and investing into eternity, even more so than she had been before the war. Her priorities completely shifted and all of the trivial things of this life just seemed like they had absolutely no meaning and no value. And one of the advantages that you see in her ministry with such an eternal focus, she was so bold to just go right into difficult situations and challenge people with truth. She wasn't worried about what they thought of her. She wasn't worried about her reputation. She had eternity's values always in front of her. And there's a specific story in Tramp for the Lord where she was visiting different people in Holland and in Germany that had been affected by the war. And there was one man in one of the refugee areas who had lost both of his legs in the war. He was very bitter and he just sort of sat brooding in a corner and no one could really reach him. He kind of had this wall, this hardness around him. And she went into his room and she said, just immediately to, she just said right to him, the only way to be free from your bitterness is to surrender it. And that was how she opened the conversation with this man. There was no, hi, how are you? Here's my name. What's your name? She just went right to the heart of things. And she did that so many times all throughout her ministry. And because of that, it really made an impact on people. They they realized they couldn't ignore someone who was going to be that bold and that passionate about truth and had completely laid down all the 
the things that the world says you have to value. And she didn't care about her reputation or what people thought of her or being popular. And that just gave her the ability to speak bold truth when it was needed. And so many times, including the situation with that legless man, it led to people giving their life to Christ. So a practical takeaway from keeping an eternal focus is just simply to ask the question, how much of my time and my focus is being spent on things that will matter in light of eternity? Am I getting caught up in the trivial things of this life? Or am I willing to say the majority of my time and energy is going to be invested into something that will last. And that is the word of God, our relationship with God and the souls of men and women around us. And ask God to show you practically what that means for you. If you haven't had much of an eternal focus, how can you shift your life to be more about eternity's values rather than this world's values? Another thing that I see in Corey's life is just absolute trust in her shepherd's guidance. She really believed that God would guide her, direct her steps, show her exactly where to go, what to do, who to speak to, what to talk about in her lectures. One of the ways this really started in her life was when she went from Holland to America. She felt that God was calling her to go share her message in America. This was after the war. She had very little money. And nobody really knew who she was. She just kind of went to America expecting God to lead her. And she kind of hit a low point because nobody really wanted to hear her speak. She ran out of money. And it seemed like maybe she had missed God. This is something that she wrote in her book, Tramp for the Lord. A great ocean separated me from my homeland. I had no money. Nobody wanted to hear my lectures. All I had was an inner word from God that he was guiding me. Was it enough? All I could do was press on and on for his namesake. And she cried out to God that he would confirm that he was guiding her and directing her because people in her life, other Christians had said, God doesn't give direct guidance. You've been presumptuous. But as she trusted him with childlike faith, he did a miracle. It was only about a week later that she met somebody who really opened the door for her to speak all over the world. And that's really what launched her ministry. But because she remained completely dependent on God, she continued to let him guide her for every decision moving forward. Childlike dependence upon God. And I've shared in other podcasts how she would just open her Bible, have a map on the bed and say, Lord, where have you called me next? And every single time, even if it seemed like a crazy place to go, God would show up and meet her there. Listening to the voice of God and expecting him to work in the details of our daily lives is not a very popular message these days. And we don't really see a lot of Christians living it out. Whether you're deciding who to marry, what job to take, what to do with your free time, even in ministry. So often it's human wisdom that's leading ministry today. And I remember Eric, when he was a young Christian, before he and I were married, he was talking at a table with a bunch of other Christian young people about how he believed God would guide him and show him who he was supposed to marry. And he it wasn't up to him, it was up to God. And he was completely mocked and everyone said, you know, that's ridiculous. We make our own decisions. And as long as we're just in the moral will of God, he blesses them. So that's a very common mentality, very opposite of what you see in Corey Ten Boom's life. The idea of waiting on God's leading before moving forward with the decision is, is just often a foreign concept to us. And it doesn't help that over the past couple of decades, a lot of popular Christian books have promoted the idea that God wants to train us for independence rather than bothering him for answers on every decision we need to make in life. And then other books have taken the position that we need to look to our personal desires to know 
God's will for our lives. Neither one of those are a biblical concept, but they've kind of infiltrated the way we think oftentimes as Christians. Corey Ten Boom's life proved that God does indeed care about the details of our lives. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And then in the first chapter of James, we are told to ask God when we need specific wisdom for our daily lives. And here's that verse using the Phillips translation, which is the one Corey Ten Boom always used in her messages, which I really like. If any of you does not know how to meet a particular problem, he has only to ask God who gives generously to all men without making them feel foolish or guilty. And he may be quite sure that the necessary wisdom will be given him. And that was sort of one of Corey Ten Boom's life verses. In Proverbs, we are told not to lean on our own understanding, but to acknowledge him in all our ways and expect him to direct our paths. And then in Psalm 32, 9, it says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. All throughout scripture, it's clear that God wants to guide us. He wants to direct our path to give us wisdom and show us the way to go. And that is an incredible privilege. He doesn't just leave us on our own to figure things out for ourselves. He wants to be intimately involved in the details of our daily lives. But the practical takeaway here is to ask yourself the question, am I allowing him to be intimately involved in the details of my daily life? Am I inviting God to be the ruler of my daily life and decision? Or am I trying to keep him in the position of a backseat driver, just asking his opinion when it's convenient and comfortable to do so? We may think that we're getting further ahead by maintaining control rather than trusting him, but the sheep can never lead the way the shepherd can. So ask yourself the question, am I, am I pausing to wait for his guidance or am I rushing ahead of him in any area of my life? The third principle that you see so beautifully demonstrated in Corey Ten Boom's life is surrendered desires. It is very possible for God to personally lead us and guide us with as much clarity as he did Corey Ten Boom. But it's also clear in scripture that his leading is dependent and conditional upon the state of our souls. Corrie ten Boom and many other Christians like her throughout history heard God's voice clearly, not because they were, quote, special Christians, but because they were walking in the biblical pattern for how to be led by the spirit of God. If our heart is not right before God, if we are marked by pride rather than humility, if we are not surrendered to him, if we have our own agenda, we are not going to be able to tune into his voice. When Corrie Ten Boom was a young woman, she talks about in the book, The Hiding Place, losing the love of her life. She had a young man that she felt she was supposed to marry. He had shown interest in her. And then one day he came over and introduced her to his fiance. And the family's, or his family hadn't wanted him to marry her because her family wasn't wealthy. And so she knew that day that she would never get married. And she went to her room and the way she responded, there was tremendous grief. There was t tremendous disappointment, but she surrendered her love life completely to God. She said, Lord, I belong to you 100%. Whatever you want to do with my life, I'm yours. And what an opposite response of most people when they're faced with a disappointment, something's taken away that they really wanted or a hope deferred is surrender our default or is anger and frustration our default? Because Corey Ten Boom surrendered in that situation, that was how she lived the rest of her life. And all throughout her book, Tramp for the Lord, that she shares stories about responding to the Holy Spirit's conviction with a willingness to surrender to his agenda and put her own agenda aside. There was one story that stood out to me where she was speaking, I think it was in Israel, and she was invited to 
after a, after a long message, you know, long day, lots of travel. And she's, of course, in her older years and her heart had issues. But these two young nurses invited her over for a cup of coffee. She said yes. And then she recognized she had to go up 10 flights of stairs to get to their apartment. And she really didn't want to go. And she almost just said, I can't do this. It's too much work. She had to stop at every floor and rest and catch her breath. And then God spoke to her that he had a great blessing awaiting her if she would put her own agenda aside and surrender to his. So she walked up those those stairs, just struggling up them. But when she reached the top, that one of the nurse's parents, the mother and the father, were both there, and she was able to lead both of them to Christ. And she recognized that importance of surrendering to the Holy Spirit's agenda versus pushing ahead with her own agenda. One of the ways that I believe you can you can tell God is shaping the desires of your heart is that you begin to desire things that seem strange to the rest of the world. You have a willingness to go where others won't go, put your own comforts aside, and you get excited about things that other people don't get excited about. I've talked about on other podcasts, the missionaries throughout history who felt strong desires to go to places in the world where nobody else wanted to set foot. Gladys Aylward went to war-torn China, and it was almost impossible even to get there. It was extremely dangerous. And she was so excited. She knew that was what she was called to. Jim Elliott and his fellow missionaries said they were like little children on Christmas morning in their excitement to reach the Aka Indians, though nobody else would even go near them because of the danger. Jackie Pullinger couldn't wait to get into the walled city of Hong Kong, which was a filthy crime-ridden place where even law officers were reluctant to go. So why did these men and women and people like Corey Ten Boom desire strange things? Why did Corey Ten Boom desire to travel? all over the world and share her story. It's because their desires were surrendered to him and he was shaping the desires of their heart. I've often quoted that scripture, one of my favorite verses, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It doesn't mean he gives you whatever you want. It means he shapes and molds the desires of your heart to match with his. So just as Corey Ten Boom did, I encourage you to lay your personal dreams and desires at the feet of Jesus and ask him to shape the desires of your heart. He may choose to grant desires that are already there, like the desire to get married and raise a family, but it's so critical that each one of those desires, even the good desires, are first yielded completely to him. Submitting your desires to God can be a scary thing to do, but if you're willing to take a step of obedience, you will experience that principle that Jim Elliott expressed, that God gives his very best to those who leave the choice to him. So the practical takeaway Are my desires completely surrendered to God? Take some time to sit before God and say, Lord, are there desires that I'm clinging to or are they truly on the altar before you? Another principle that I see in Corey Ten Boom's life is a willingness to wait on God. We've been talking about God's guidance, how he leads us as a good shepherd. We have to be willing to be still before him and wait for his guidance. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart means let your heart take courage. And why is that associated with waiting for the Lord? Because honestly, it takes time and it takes courage to trust God enough to wait on him that he'll make our path clear. It requires faith and strength of soul. The Bible says that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do we really believe that promise? Are we willing to diligently seek him the way Corey Ten Boom and so many other Christians throughout history have done in order to find the reward that he has for those who wait expectantly upon him? 
Corey Ten Boom so often said, God has only plans, not problems for our lives. And that was such a convicting quote when I first heard it, because I used to imagine that if I truly waited for God to direct my steps, I would end up miserable because I thought the plans that I had for myself were so much better than any plans he could ever have for me. And yet, as Corey Ten Boom says, he has plans and his plans are good. His plans are to give us a hope and a future. If you're facing any kind of decision, whether it's small or big, I encourage you to take some purposeful time away from outside input and distractions and truly wait on God. Spend time in his word. Ask him to speak to you specifically through scripture and through giving you a clear sense of his direction in your heart. Those who seek him diligently will find him. Corey Ten Boom used to, anytime she had to make a decision, immediately have a consultation with her king. She would immediately go to the word of God. She would immediately be still in his presence until she knew she had tapped into what he was calling her to do. And even if that meant she missed certain opportunities because she wanted to wait on him, she was willing to wait for his guidance. So the practical takeaway here, are there decisions in which I need to wait on God for his guidance? Am I willing to trust him enough to wait on him? Waiting is not easy, but it is possible through the grace of God. The fifth principle from Corey Ten Boom's life that I want to emphasize is her humility. All throughout her life, you see a constant willingness to humble herself and respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that is such a good indicator of whether our hearts are humble before God. When we feel convicted, do we respond or do we push away that conviction? And as I've said in other podcasts, we're not talking about condemnation that comes from the enemy, but that gentle prick of conviction from the Holy Spirit where we know we need to change something or make something right. There was a story she shared in Tramp for the Lord where she was speaking at a women's event and And then the leader of this women's event came up to her and asked if she would speak to a a bigger group of women at a different location. And she was very irritated and said, I don't like this idea of just speaking to women. God needs to call men and women. I'm not going to come. And she sort of snapped at the woman. And then as she was packing later to get ready to catch her flight, God really convicted her and said, you need to make things right with that woman. And she kept justifying and said, well, no, but I'm standing up for what's right. God needs to raise up men in the church. And God said, you were very rude to that woman. And so she called the woman to come to her room and she repented and she asked forgiveness in response to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And she actually missed her flight because she was being obedient to what God's Spirit was asking her to do. What an incredible exercise in humility, not only to be obedient and respond to the Holy Spirit, but to humble herself in front of someone like this that she didn't even really know, but that she had been rude to. Proverbs tells us, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. All throughout scripture, God makes it clear that he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When we're prideful, when we push away the conviction of the Holy Spirit, when we think we have everything figured out, we don't really need God's help. We kind of just ignore that still small voice that's tugging at our heart. That's when we're setting ourselves up for a major fall. God is talking about in Psalm 32, talking about God's guidance, it also shows that it is conditional upon the fact that we cannot be marked by pride. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle. If we are stubborn like a horse or mule, we cannot be led by God. Our pride controls us just like a bridle controls a headstrong animal. 
I've known many young Christians who were steeped in pride and they felt justified in angrily confronting other Christians that they disagreed with. In doing that, they're fleshly, arrogant, demeaning in their approach, but they've convinced themselves that they're being led by God because of the truth they're defending. But in this situation, pride is in control, not the spirit of God. As James says, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Corey Ten Boom used to say, our job is not to tell God what we want to do, to tell him of our plans, but simply to report for duty. And that is how she lived. And that is something that can only flow from a heart attitude of humility rather than pride. Jesus has to be our King, our Lord, our master. He needs to be lifted above our own thoughts, ideas, opinions, and human wisdom. We need to adapt our thoughts and our plans around his truth rather than trying to adapt his truth around our own ideas. When we humble ourselves in his sight, he will lift us up. And that is what you see in the life of Corrie Ten Boom. She started out in America as this unknown Dutch woman who barely spoke English that nobody wanted to hear to becoming one of the most powerful world-changing evangelists in Christian history. Not because of anything she did, but because she humbled herself and yielded to the Spirit of God. So some final thoughts that I want to share. Corrie Ten Boom certainly wasn't perfect. She would have been the first one to say that. But her willingness to continually yield to the Word of God and believe it, take it at its word, with childlike faith is what made her a world changer. I pray that you and I will follow in her footsteps. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into any of these truths, please visit us at setapartgirl.com and check out the many resources that we have for you on living a set-apart life. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.